listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 28 of the Testudo Times Podcast, the first of 2016, where since none of us won Powerball, we're all still doing this show. I'm joined by two people at this incredibly late hour of the night. Dave, if you had won this $500 million Powerball jackpot, what would you have used the money for? I hope it rhymed with Rip Belly. (laughs) Well, how do you know I didn't win, which is why it took me so long to actually get on this call? Because you told me in our chat why you took you so long to get on this call. So you kind of tipped your hand there, Dave. I did. I did tip my hand. Um, I, I don't know. I'd probably buy a suite at the Xfinity Center for us all to watch games at for the rest of the year. That would be fun. Although we have one of us has to be down on the floor covering it. So one of us has to do that job. We we'll, make Alex, we'll make Alex do it. Well, he's not here. Where is Alex Kirshner? Where in the world is Alex Kirshner? I'm going to assume he's with Vic the Slick trying to pilfer the pyramids of Giza. There might be two of you listening to this show that got that joke. Uh, standing in for Alex tonight and for the next couple of days is Ryan Connors, who has stayed up so late graciously, waiting for Dave to do whatever the hell he was doing. Hi, Ryan. Hey, guys. It's, you know, it's really not that late. Uh, it's late for me, although it might not actually be that late for me because by the time you are all listening to this podcast... I will either be in the process of or recovering from having my wisdom teeth removed, which I guess is good news for some of you because I don't know how many of you actually like to hear me talk. So what can you do? <laughs> We've got three basketball games to talk about and a couple of isolated football things. Uh, first of all, I think we should address the Mellow Tremble thing off the top because a lot of people are probably still a little nervous about it. He got injured, looked like his hamstring tonight against Rutgers. He sat out the entirety of the second half. Maryland didn't really need Mellow Trimble during the entire game. They certainly didn't need him in the second half. Uh, Ryan, anything more than it was just a twinge and they kept him out because they didn't need him? Yeah, I mean, who knows if they did need him, whether he would have been able to play or not. But Turgeon seemed very unconcerned after the game. So I think, you know, as of now, you just got to say not a big deal. Okay, so that's good news. So now let's take a trip back a week and talk about a game that was far less convincing. It was convincing for one player, but for many of the others, it wasn't. Penn State, I've tried to erase that game from my memory. We talked about it a bit on the uh, Big Ten Conference preview podcast with Thomas Bendit. I hope, well, hopefully you all enjoyed that. Uh, So try to summon the memory of that game back in your minds. It's hard to remember anything anybody other than Diamond Stone did, but Dave... Diamond Stone did quite a lot, and by quite a lot, I mean he won the game for Maryland when they shouldn't have won otherwise. Yeah, I mean, he, he Penn State seemed to focus on making sure that Trimble couldn't do what he normally does best, and that left uh, Diamond open to take advantage inside, and he certainly did that, and Maryland went to him, and he essentially carried them through the second half, and took them to, to victory. I mean, they were down, I think, 13 with six minutes left, and it looked like you know Maryland had a very realistic chance of losing to Penn State at home. In basketball. In basketball, <laughs> not, not in football, that should be noted. Um, we had to remind everybody because I was kind of surprised. Yeah. It, 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 he had a, a fantastic game. I mean, he just... He's been, I feel like, getting better and better. I think um, he's doing 
some things better each game. He is doing so much better defensively. He's he's doing a really good job um, just running the court. I think there were a couple of plays where he made a great defensive play and he was right back um, at the other end to make an offensive play. And I think that's that's important. Um, and you're really seeing him progress and, and develop into the type of player that um, people know he's capable of, of being. And maybe my favorite part of the game tonight, and by tonight I mean the Rutgers game, was he actually started this game when DeMonte Dowd was supposed to start it because somebody screwed up. It's really funny how somebody scored 39 points off the bench. We asked this on the show last week. I don't remember the last time anybody scored 39-plus off the bench in college basketball. Does anybody know the answer to that question? I, I haven't gotten one in the last week, and I'm really curious to know if there is one. Nothing? I, I don't I don't know. Um, I mean, I think— we got to ask Elias. I think his him coming off the bench is a, a good thing, though, just because— I mean, conventional wisdom says, obviously, this guy should be starting if he's scoring 39 points, but— I think, you know, if he's doing well coming off the bench like that and not picking up a quick foul, being out there early and being able to come in and still play starter minutes. I mean, that's one thing that Gary Williams talked a lot about was he didn't care and didn't really matter to him who started. It was more about the number of minutes that you were playing and who was finishing out the game. And I think, you know, Diamond's an example of that. If it's going to keep him out of early foul trouble, then that's fine coming off the bench. It, to me, it doesn't matter. It's not nearly as significant about who starts as some might want to believe it is. Right. I, oh, yeah, go on. Well, I absolutely agree with the whole Diamond coming off the bench thing. I mean, especially preventing that early foul trouble, but also kind of at the beginning of the game, he really gives you a spark, like, you know, five minutes into the game or whenever you decide to put him in. And he's, I mean, he's not going to score 39 probably ever again. But, you know, he's his last two games, he's been very efficient shooting the ball, and that's really what you like to see. Ryan, I believe somebody else on this podcast, I don't remember who it was, it was either Matt or Alex, brought up the idea that if you started Stone, then you have all five of your guys who are legitimate scoring threats starting, and you haven't brought anybody off the bench who you the opposition would fear as a scorer. Diamond Stone coming off the bench is somebody that teams have to fear as a scorer, not on just defensively, you know what I mean? So... I think there's that aspect of it, too. And that certainly is getting a lot of play, and I'd agree with that, too. Ryan? Yeah. Oh, no, I mean, I would definitely... Where were you just then? Oh, I mean, I don't know. That wasn't I wasn't totally a question, so I was confused. Um, yeah, it's I 11.54 mean, at night. Yeah, I'll forgive you. It's all good. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I would agree with it. I think... Um, I don't know. I think Stone coming off the bench is just fine, is totally fine, and I expect Turgeon to keep doing that. The biggest concern from that game, though, David, it's something I think everybody kind of realized, but it came to full effect, is that when Maryland can't hit shots, and this happens to everybody in college basketball, but particularly it happens to Maryland, if they can't hit shots, any shots, and they were getting clean looks and were missing them, they're in big trouble. I mean, these weren't, you know, contested looks. These were open looks and nothing was going down. Is that an off-night thing, or is that something that we're going to have to worry about when Maryland plays better defensive teams than Penn State down the stretch? I mean, I would chalk it up to being an off-night thing. Uh, I mean, to Maryland's credit, they found what was working and continuously went back to it, and that really got them back in the game. Um, I mean, I... The, the way I've been looking at the Penn State game is that a really good team is going to find a way to still 
win that game, whereas a good team is probably going to lose it and a bad team is probably going to, you know, not have a have it be close at all. And I think it just shows that, you know, Maryland can have most of their players not able to hit the broadside of a barn and still manage to win a game. And, you know, that's important because you could get into a game in March in the NCAA tournament and you're facing some hot team and your team's in a cold spell and you need to find something that's going to work to allow you to win the game. And I mean, that's what Maryland did in that particular instance. If, if diamond has to score 39 points for Maryland to win, then that's what they have to do. And, you know, again, credit to them for finding a way to do that. And I, mean, I just think since that game, you know, Maryland has really played extremely well. They've shot the ball really well and really all season they've done a great job and they've been super efficient about scoring um so i mean i'm not really worried about what happened in that penn state game i think it's really an anomaly and again they found a way to win it and they move on to the next game i have to bring this up because i know our readers and listeners are going to love it you know ken palm our friend ken palm we all love him on this website you know when last year maryland was number one in ken palm's luck winning close games, doing stuff like what happened on last Wednesday night. That's why Maryland was number one in luck. That's basically what he was talking about. The game that this reminded me of was Northwestern last year at home when Maryland, I don't remember if they couldn't hit the broadside of the barn, but they were playing terribly and were down by 10 with like two and a half to go and found a way to win somehow. You know, good teams definitely find ways to win, but Maryland has a tendency, and it was against Ryder too, we saw it. They've played some games where they should be beating teams like that by way more than they did. Now, again, it's not a big deal if it doesn't become a trend, and it certainly hasn't, but there are certain aspects of concern to take from that game, at least for me. But seemingly, they've been erased with the last two games. Now, I have to confess, as your humble podcast host, and I do nothing other than being honest, at least I try to, I watched not a single second of the Northwestern game because I was at another sporting event. If you check my Twitter timeline, you can figure out what it was. So... Kindly tell me why and how Maryland blew a team that had one loss completely out of their own gym, Ryan. Uh, I mean, I don't know how much the fact that uh, Alex Ola was not playing for Northwestern. I really don't think that would have mattered. But I don't know. You just saw a team from Maryland who just seemed like they could do no wrong. It was a little scary in the beginning, like when uh, Melo Trimble wasn't on for a lot of the game, actually. He finished with... 24 points but a lot of those came once he finally got hot in the second half and I mean you just saw the team that you hoped you'd see you know when Maryland started the season everyone was scoring people were rebounding diamond stone being efficient down low uh it's it's hard to point out much wrong with what they did against Northwestern I guess Dave that's even better considering if he didn't play all that much and he still scored 24 points that's even better for Maryland. He could, we all know he could score in bunches, and then he did that. Why did Maryland blow out a pretty decent Northwestern team, all things considered? They blew them out of their own gym, and that is a hard thing to do, even against teams that are iffy in conference play. I, I, th- I think the biggest thing that contributed to their success and why they were leading by 20 at the half was that they played so well defensively I mean, they really just did not let Northwestern do anything that they wanted to do on offense, especially in the first half. And I think it, in terms of what they did defensively and what they were able to do offensively, I mean, honestly, 
they they've shot the ball better offensively within a half, but their defense set up so much of their offense and fast break opportunities and the way the guys were getting back down the court after a defensive stop. Um, it was just the most complete game I think they've played in terms of a offensive and defensive standpoint. And I really think that just opened everything up for them. And, you know, if they can continue to improve defensively like that, then, I mean, they're going to be a crazy, scary team uh, later in this season. So what did they do defensively, specifically? Again, I didn't watch the game, I don't know, but if you're winning by 20 at the half on the road, you've obviously done something right. I mean, they took Northwestern out of all their offensive sets. They weren't letting them uh, get the ball inside. They they weren't letting them run their offense, essentially. I mean, and they were disrupting. They were being um, super great getting through screens. They were just doing a phenomenal job of um, – Stealing, I, I can't remember how many steals they had that game, but they seem to have so many fast break opportunities. Um, it was just, like I said, one of the one of the better games I've seen them play, and it just really made you realize that you know this is what this team can be, and if they're going to continue to improve, you want to see that throughout the season and I think you're starting to see that now we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the crazy stretch with blocks and then at the end of it the alley-oop that wasn't uh was that the craziest <laughs> sequence of basketball you've ever seen Ryan uh definitely the craziest thing I've seen this season I thought it was interesting that Lehman had two blocks during that sequence but uh yeah, uh, that was ridiculous. I don't think I've ever seen in someone just go for an alley-oop and just miss it that badly that it just goes in. Uh, but, hey, that was, that was as exciting as it got for Northwestern in that game. So It apparently was, considering they got pretty much blown out of their own gym. And this was a team that had one loss. Again, we know what teams are like, Maryland teams are like, that had one loss, but it turns out haven't played anybody. That was a fun year, 2013. Anyway, <laughs> and I know, Dave, you didn't watch the game against Rutgers, you really missed nothing other than Varumaran hitting a three. That was pretty <laughs> awesome. Other than that, you didn't miss much, I have to say. When we say I, would, I would concur. When, you, when we say that teams from Epley and Ritchie could probably beat Rutgers, I don't mean it lightly because I really do think they could. I don't know. I haven't been watching that much college basketball, but I don't think I've ever seen a Power 5 team as bad as Rutgers was. I mean... Ryan, you, you watched. I didn't watch all the game because it was over by the time I came home from dinner. Uh, how does, I mean, Maryland, do they really have to do anything that special to beat a team this bad? Well, first of all, I would like to point out that Rutgers only had seven scholarship players available. They did. They so had a lot of injuries, let's be that's fair. A, that's certainly to be noted. Um, they weren't yeah, all I mean, that great to begin with, we also have to say, but... Taking Accu a bad team and then making them that much worse. Yes, we have to be fair to them. But an accurate statement. Um, yeah, what did they do tonight? I mean, they kind of they. It wasn't even that exciting, really, because they just got out to such a big lead early. But you know, you saw another ex exciting performance from Jake Lehman. Uh, not doing anything really to quiet the crowd that says he only does well against bad teams. But. Uh, 18 points. Oh, that's going to be a great thing for our mentions coming up. 18 points on, I think, 5 of 10 shooting. So that was pretty good. Um, Can you reasonably ask Jake Lehman to do any more than that? It, no, even, I mean, I mean and this was a game when Melo Trimble was out for most of it. So, right. And I'd have to say also, even in games where he 
you know, has struggled. He's getting open shots that I do think he will eventually knock down. But, uh, you know, again, Diamond Stone, very efficient shooting tonight. Uh, you saw, like, against Penn State, you saw what you saw a scary version of what the team would be without Melo Trimble. Tonight, you saw an encouraging version of what the team would be without Melo Trimble. Granted, came against Rutgers, so who knows? I mean, I think the, the thing with me, Dave, and I've mentioned this on the show before, I think I have at least, or at least I've mentioned it to people who I've talked to about the team, was Maryland, when they played teams that were pretty small, I, I noticed Ryder, there were others, UMES even to an extent, and Rutgers, sometimes Maryland didn't really use their interior length and height on the offensive end. They certainly used it on the defensive end, but they didn't use it particularly on the offensive end. Tonight they did, it's obviously to great effect, because Rutgers was really small. Is that something we got to worry about? I mean, yes, in the Big Ten, you're going to play big teams, but you're going to play small teams the rest of the way. You're going to play Indianas, and you're more than likely going to play one of them in the tournament, especially early. Is that a concern for you when you see Maryland not getting as much offensively done in the interior, considering that they're going to have height advantages over a lot of these teams? Um, I actually heard Mark Turgeon talk about this a little bit with Johnny Holiday before the game against Rutgers tonight. And he was saying that Rutgers lack of size actually was going to make the game a little bit more difficult for them than what are we sure he wasn't just buttering up Rutgers? Cause no, I don't don't think he was just buttering up Rutgers. I think he was saying that, you know, when a team has a smaller lineup, it's not as easy because you can't have a, a big matching up against another big and, you know, banging inside like that. And I think, you know, they certainly have the talent to be able to compensate for that, but it's going to present a a unique challenge. And I think playing games against teams like Ryder and other teams where you have different types of advantages is one of the reasons why you play those teams in an out-of-conference schedule, because you have to learn what can our team do in order to counteract this particular team. And I think, you know, last year, that that's why the game against Maryland had against West Virginia. It was just a team that it just did not match up well with what Maryland's strengths were. And, you know, Trimble obviously went out with that concussion. But, you know, West Virginia was still in control for most of that game. And I think you really need to have a whole range of um, – playing styles to compete against so that when you get to March and you could potentially face a wide number of different teams that are going to have different sizes, run different types of offense, you know, running man defense, zone defense against you, you need to know and be prepared for any of those situations. Do you worry about Maryland's matchup against teams that are small? I don't particularly worry about them going up against big teams, and I think we'll see that down the stretch in the Big Ten. But do you worry about if Maryland's going to get a matchup against a smaller team in the tournament? Do you think that that's going to be the kind of team that gives them more problems? It it might give them more problems, but I think ultimately Maryland's talent that they have is going to outmatch anything that they would face from a situation like that. Okay. So, Ryan, let's talk, I guess, a little bit more in depth about the Rutgers game. Is there anything else you can kind of take from a game like this, all things considered? Uh, I don't even know. Above and beyond what we already mentioned, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how much you can really take from a game that's just like that much of a blowout. I guess 
big thing is Diamond Stone. I mean, he just he keeps getting better against a team. You know, this was a small team, like we just talked about. And he was, you know, when he wanted to score, he could pretty much score. So that was, that was a big takeaway. Other than that, uh, hard to uh, hard to take away too much. Varun Varun Ram got in the game. Turgeon seemed impressed with him uh, by what he said after. But uh, you know, I, I don't I don't really know what you could take from it. This team's ranked 240th in Ken Palm. That's uh, that's pretty probably bad. one of the worst in the Power Five. I, I would imagine it's that bad in the Power Five because I'm not looking at Ken Palm as we speak. I guess we got to look at what Maryland's offense would look like for extended stretches without Mellow Trimble. Uh, they looked pretty smooth for whatever it's worth. Again, it's against Rutgers. Uh, what did you think of Jalen Brantley tonight? Because just before the break, you know, the long stretches we had, he had that game against Princeton where he was dynamite, and we were all saying, well, Here's something that I, it was us two, us three on this podcast, and we were talking about if Jalen Brantley could play like that, good luck everybody else in college basketball. How do you think he played tonight with a little bit more of a spotlight? Um, well, I was kind of surprised he didn't have more, even more of a spotlight tonight. I figured since, uh, since Mello wasn't starting the second half, I figured they'd just go heavy on Brantley. And Turgeon ended up not doing that for the first, at least the first part of the second half. Um, yeah, he seemed... He seemed solid. I don't know. He didn't uh, do that much personally to impress me on offense. He had the one like ridiculous, like desperation turnaround shot. That was pretty cool. But um, Ken Palm's luck stat again, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go on. By the way, Maryland's ranked 144th in luck so far this year. Wow. Yes. Can you tell me off the top who is number one? Just out of curiosity, Dave. Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Texas A&M, I was about to say, it's to Texas A&M, SEC's Texas A&M. No. <laughs> oh, that would have been funnier than it should have been, and because of the Turgeon connection. But regardless of that, Maryland's got two games, it figures, before we record another podcast. Wisconsin in the uh, Diamond Stone Derby, as I'm going to call it. Yes, I'm using the English pronunciation of Derby. Sorry, everybody. Uh, this isn't going to be a really interesting game because Diamond Stone, obviously, is going to be the focal point. But this is not a very good Wisconsin team, sure. They beat up against Rutgers, but basically everybody does that. It's in Madison. It's the toughest conference game Maryland's played to date. Won't be for very long. What are you thinking about this game, Dave? Um, I think it's going to be a probably a bit of a, a raucous environment for Maryland to play in. I don't think they're going to be rolling out the welcome mat for, for Diamond Stone. I mean, but we saw how he played against UConn, and if he plays like that against Wisconsin— uh, that would be very interesting. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Wisconsin's a, a pretty good – I mean, I think they're better than what their record indicates right now. I They're, I think, 54th in Ken Palm right now, but they're 9-7 and seven overall. Um, they – I mean, they've lost to some – they are nine and seven as we speak. They just lost on the road to one on to Indiana by one. Excuse me. This is in Indiana without Will Blackman, of course. Uh, they've lost to Milwaukee at home, Western Illinois. So I mean, yeah, I, had, I mean, I mean, they've had some ugly loss, and they've also lost to Georgetown. So whatever that's worth. Western Illinois is probably their worst loss. Milwaukee isn't exactly a good loss either. Um, I mean, they come tight with Purdue at home. They did. Purdue's a pretty good team, too. Um, so, I mean, Wisconsin, they they just haven't... 
I, I think people thought they would be a lot better than what they have been so far this year. Um, but I mean, Maryland should should win this game. I, I think it's going to be probably close, but I don't think you know you should go into it thinking Maryland should be able to win. I don't think they're going to go in there and do what they did against Northwestern because I think that was more of a Maryland did everything right and Northwestern couldn't do a lot of things right at the same time. Now, whether that was Maryland causing that or Northwestern having a bad night, I, I don't know. But um, you, Maryland should have the ability to go in there and, and beat uh, a pretty decent Wisconsin team, but a Wisconsin team that's been extremely inconsistent this year. Ryan, this is another team that's pretty small. You don't really don't think of Wisconsin as small, considering what they had last year. Uh, but this is a team with Bronson Caning and Nigel Hayes still. What do you think Maryland ends up doing in this game? Uh, I mean, I think Maryland ends up winning by probably, I'd say around 12 points. I mean, Ken Palm predicts him to win by, looks like, two. Two. But, uh... Didn't they predict Northwestern or something like Maryland to win by one at Northwestern? Yeah. Yeah, we could could certainly talk about Ken Palm and Alex's prediction about Northwestern. I'm sure you'd love that. uh, uh, Well, Alex (laughs) is away. He can't talk about that, so we can say whatever the hell we want. Uh, So, uh, Dave, you want to say anything about that quickly? (laughs) I laughed at whoever the commenter was that predicted Rutgers would win this game tonight by one point and said it was How Alex's drunk prediction. was that person? I, I think, think they jokingly said that was Alex's prediction for tonight. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, again, Alex is somewhere indeterminate on planet Earth. We don't actually know where he is, so he can't comment. Could Watch him send me a DM on Twitter tomorrow about this. And I'll say, I can't talk. I have gauze and all this crap in my mouth. Anyway... Go back to the Wisconsin point, <laughs> Ryan. Yeah, um, I don't know. This team doesn't – you said they're a small team. I think that's another good test for – like you said, they want to match up against small teams. But I think Maryland would match up pretty well against most small teams. With you got Diamond Stone, who's a pretty mobile center, and Robert Carter, who – he, I mean, he's definitely mobile for a power forward. I mean, I think this game really – you know, might might be close for a little while, but can't imagine – Maryland getting that much trouble out of it. Okay, and then on Tuesday, Super Tuesday, Maryland's going to the Chrysler Center to play Michigan. Now, Michigan, as our friend Thomas Bendit was talking about last week, if you listen to the show, said they can beat up against a lot of teams that are worse than them, but they've been blown out of the gym by every team that's better. That would be Xavier, UConn, and SMU. Those three losses, and those were by 16, 14, and 24. It's on the road. It's in the Big Ten. They're playing Purdue on Tuesday. today actually thursday so we'll get a little bit of an idea of what they can do against a good team i think this matchup's a slightly worse one for maryland because i'm always fearful of guards that can get hot against the terps after watching maryland play indiana and ohio state last year and that terrifies me uh but i think maryland's gonna have a little bit of trouble against michigan if they lose at any point before michigan state i think it's this game above all else dave don't you agree yeah michigan's a very very good team they're probably again a team that's better than what their 12 and 3 record indicates i think they're a fringe um, tournament team like a 9 10 seed for early bracketology for whatever that's worth since yeah, I mean, january it, 7th their, their their three losses are by xavier who's ranked ninth in ken Palm, connecticut which is 32nd and smu which is 14th if you look at their effect, effective field goal percentage they're ranked 
third. Maryland's ranked fourth. And Indiana is ranked second. So amazingly, even though Maryland is fourth in the country in effective field goal percentage, they are third in the Big Ten, which is just crazy when you think about that. Um, But Michigan does a lot of things well, and they do a lot of things that Maryland also does well. So I think it's going to be a really interesting game, I think, to watch and see what happens. it's it's at uh, in Ann Arbor, which is going to be fun, and I think it's another good road test for Maryland to see you know how far they've come so far this season. And Ryan, we haven't seen them play back-to-back road games yet. And you don't get a chance to do that very often in college basketball. So back-to-back road games is something I think that we you know you got to play these games quickly. It's on a decently quick turnaround Sunday to uh, Saturday to Tuesday. There's not a lot of time to regroup after that, and you're on the road for two games. Usually you're going to get one road, one home, and that's how it works. I think this is a very good test for Maryland, and I wouldn't be shocked if they lost. Yeah, um, you know they're going to they're going to lose one of these games. You know, like there's going to they're going to lose a game that they shouldn't lose. People are going to freak out, but it's going to be fine. Um, I think last year I mean, that game was Illinois, and it happened around this time. Yeah, and I don't know. They almost. I don't know. It's hard to predict that they'd lose a game because they've already had their game where they, the Penn State game, where they just couldn't hit a shot. They still won. Then, but that was uh, against a worse team at home. True, true. But they've already had that game where they just go like totally cold shooting. Where I like, so you don't think that's going to happen again right away? At least, um, I don't know. I think, I think they're going to actually end up being fine and winning both games. But uh, I think Michigan. You guys said it. Probably, if they're going to lose before Michigan State, it'll probably be at Michigan. The games before Michigan State, for the record, are Ohio State and Northwestern at home. I think Maryland can win both of those games fairly convincingly, but that's just me. Uh, The one thing I was thinking that was going to happen was Maryland, if they beat Wisconsin and Rutgers, and it looks like they should, uh, that they would be number two in the country. That's not going to happen now, thanks to Oklahoma and Kansas. I mean, briefly before we move on to some football things, uh, was that the best game of college basketball? It certainly was the best game of college basketball this season, and it's probably the third best college game, basketball game I've ever seen after the Notre Dame-Kentucky game and the Wisconsin-Kentucky game from the tournament last year. That was banana. It was awesome. That's why I like college basketball. So that's why we all love college basketball so much. And then I got fearful, and then I got really scared of what would happen if Maryland played Oklahoma in the tournament. Or either Oklahoma or Kansas. Uh, I think they both, both would be trouble, scared. but I'm immediately flashing to Buddy Heald doing the things that we saw Yogi Ferrell doing against Maryland last year, and I my heart sank. Well, actually, I think out of those two teams, Kansas definitely scares me more because on a guy like Buddy Heald, we have – I mean, Suleiman's not going to shut Buddy Heald down, but that's a pretty good defender we could put on him. Kansas is, I don't know, Kansas matches up pretty well with Maryland in at almost every position, I feel like. That would be fun. And, of course, Mark Turgeon mentioned Kansas is we. Whoops. So now we have to see Maryland and Kansas play in the tournament, right, Dave? Yeah, probably. That's I'll say, happen. I mean, that that game was incredible to watch. The One of my favorite games that I've seen, which I was fortunate enough to see in person, was when Maryland played connecticut um and route to winning the national title in 2002 because that connecticut team was just loaded um it was a, a fantastic game it was at the carrier dome up in syracuse um it was just a really really 
fun game. The other thing that this game enforced, for me at least, is that there is no dominant team in college basketball and practically anything can happen. Good news for Maryland, I guess. So quickly, let's move on to some football topics. More assistant coaches were hired, although unofficially. We can say it because they have now updated their Twitter bios. What a world we live in now in 2016. Uh, Dave, let's talk about a couple of those coaches, their position coaches. I think Chris Beatty is the wide receivers coach and the running backs coach. His name is escaping me because it's 12-19 on a Thursday night. Anthony so. Tucker. Thank you. No relation, Dave? No, no relation. Although I thought it was funny that the the teaser for that one article just said, like, Maryland hires Tucker, and someone was like, <laughs> thought it was me at first. Uh, what would what would happen if the uh, athletic department actually did hire you? It would make me a pretty happy person because I'd You'd be, be pretty wealthy. I'd be stoked to get all the uh, Under Armour gear I'm sure I would get from them, and I could then probably That's make why you'd be stoked all my wardrobe. Because of the stuff. Yeah. Uh, capitalism, everybody. Okay, let's talk about these coaches, what it means. They're both apparently pretty decent recruiters. This is a heck of a recruiting staff that uh, DJ Durkin has assembled, has it? <laughs> it's, remar it's remarkable how every single coaching hire is making this staff look like even more of the recruiting powerhouse it's becoming. And now the Big Ten East is becoming a tiny bit more uncertain day by day. Not saying, just saying. Yeah, I, mean, I think... I it's just simply been amazing to me at how well um, Durkin has done at putting this staff together and the expertise and the recruiting um, abilities of the staff that he's hired so far. And he's gone all over to, to find guys with close connections and, you know, you're seeing it pay off already in the, some of the recruits that have, Committed to Maryland um, recently since he's been hired. Should we um, talk about that? I think we should talk about that. I no, mean, I mean, he that's was the number one player in the state of Maryland who was apparently going to Alabama is going to Maryland. We can't really understate that and how crazy that is because he wasn't even remotely linked with Maryland until DJ Durkin came in. No, right? I, I, I don't think so. I, well, also, I, I noticed um, one of the things like Azad Abdul Rahim, the their new defensive backs coach who not, I'm assuming very coincidentally what he worked at Alabama right before he came here. And Part of the uh, reason why Trevon Diggs committed to Alabama, we should be fair to mention. Absolutely. And, uh, he, when Adam McLean, Maryland defensive tackle, um, he started he of this, the, I hate Penn state tweets or something <laughs> of that vintage. He started this Twitter campaign sort of like, oh, we should bring uh, Abdul Rahim back to Maryland. And I don't know what relation that actually had with him coming back, but one of the guys I noticed retweeting all of his stuff right right when this happened was Terrence Davis. And then, you know, sure enough, what was this, what's this two months later? Here he is. Committing on national television on whatever the heck the game was, the Under Armour game, which is really, really fitting. And I, we, have to, we have to link this all together because we're still wondering the Dwayne Haskins thing. Uh, all this has to, again, it's all looking up, but we're never going to, this class is still going to be made or broken essentially by Dwayne Haskins. I, I, we still have to say it. So there's still a little bit of uncertainty, but if Maryland gets Haskins, is this potentially a top 20 recruiting class at the University of Maryland for football? What, what world are we living in? Um. I, I mean, I personally haven't, you know, tracked recruiting classes throughout the years, but I know what what's Maryland's right now in twenty four seven. We're like thirty five. They're they're in the thirties, and I think that's assuming Hashkins stays Haskins? with him. 
Haskins? As a, what? Haskins? Has Browns? Don't just don't worry about it. Just keep going. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, Anesthesia hasn't kicked in yet, just for the record. Oh, well. That'd be uh, weird that, if it did. That's assuming everyone stays committed that's currently committed. So I need it's certainly possible they can get other people, but I think they would need to secure some additional high-profile recruits in order to end up in the, the top 20. But I think the most significant thing about this is that when Etzel was let go, and technically we still don't know what's going on with Mike Loxley. I mean, we it's been reported that he's not staying. He's still listed under Maryland's staff bios, for football, he's listed. When the, along the other coaches aren't, right? Yeah, he's listed there as offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks, which is the same thing that Walt Bell's title is. So I don't know if they're trying to get him to do a, a dual offensive coordinator thing or what so have you. mentioned I, on the show before. I think it's very interesting that he's still there. You know, yeah, well, like Keith, Keith Dudzinski, the uh, old defensive coordinator, his uh, his name's already already not on here. Right. So it's like, why why hasn't this happened with Loxley as well? So, um, yeah, I just it, it's a real interesting situation, I think. And you know, I was I was worried that when Etzel was let go, if Loxley wasn't staying on board, that this whole recruiting class could fall apart but what it's actually gotten better yeah i mean what dj durkin's been able to do is essentially completely it seems mitigate the loss potential loss of loxley um like you said matt though but if if dwayne hashkins isn't part of that class then yeah it's 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 going to be a huge blow to maryland but at least they're mitigating that and other ways and getting commitments from other folks in um, in the interim. I'm going to posit a theory, and this is the last thing we'll do before we sign off. Do you think that they're keeping him on technically on staff before the recruiting period ends? National signing day is what? February 4th, 5th, something like that. And then yeah, they, unfortunately, whatever, the, it's early <laughs> in February. And then they let him go in air quotes. Is that something... I just thought of that five seconds ago, but maybe that's what's happening here. Because the fact that nothing has been announced is very confusing to me, and it's confusing to a lot of us. So maybe that's what's happening. I don't know. Any truth to that? Any ideas? Something? I mean, I don't know. It's not like it's not like they're, they'd be pulling a fast one on Mike Loxley, though. It's not like he doesn't know when National Signing Day is. I mean, he'd be doing Maryland a pretty big favor if he was – quote, staying on board until National Signing Day and then looking for opportunities elsewhere. You would think if he doesn't want to accept whatever role Durkin has offered him on his staff, then he would have been out there looking for a new opportunity somewhere else. Because if I'm another coach, I want Mike Loxley on my staff before signing day so I can try to get him to flip some kids from the DMV area to come to my school. Exactly. Mm -hmm. If he's so, if he's so attached to these kids, then you'd think if some other team were able to get Loxley, that they would immediately have a good shot at like Haskins and you know, who else. But you wonder whether he's getting those opportunities. 
do they exist? That's, I saw somebody mention today. I saw somebody mention today since JMU's head coach Everett Withers is now going to coach some other school that's in D1. Somebody mentioned Loxley could coach JMU. Now that's a really really different job. But if that's the case, you're not really recruiting from the same sort of places. So maybe you could do two jobs at once at that point. Anyway, it's just theories. We're positing these things because it's 1230 at night and we've got nothing else better to do. We have to bring you a podcast at least. Right? Right. Absolutely. And, and since Matt Allentuck probably is still recovering from his trip to Senor Frogs, again, that's unconfirmed. Got some uh, low-key <laughs> sources talking to us about that. And Alex Kirshner is uh, – Somewhere in the globe, who knows? You know, he could actually be working for the CIA. And if he does, I've just spoiled his cover. Whoops. Sorry about that. It'll be our, our in the comments section's little, uh, little secret. So there was a great interlude that none of you are ever going to hear and none of us are ever going to mention again. But we're still going to end this podcast because it's clearly time to now. Thanks for joining us. Longer podcast than I thought we were going to have. Got a lot to get to. Uh, thanks, Dave, for sticking around, sticking up late after band practice. That's actually where you were today. True story. Confirmed. And Ryan, thank you for staying up late because, I don't know, we're college students and that's what we do. Although we really have no finals to cram for or anything, so I don't know why we still do it. <laughs> Enjoy Please the freedom it. while you have it, gentlemen. Yeah. Uh, I... I mean, I'm not going to be free. Right now, again, as you're listening to this, I'm going to be strapped to a bed with gauze in my mouth, basically only able to eat ice cream. So you're going to be pretty free. You're going to be on the couch eating ice cream for the next couple of days. There's, there are I mean, things. yes, but I can't talk. I can't write, basically. I can't really do anything other than watch TV. Now, let's be honest. That's basically what I do all the time anyway, but I'm not going to be able to talk, and my angelic voice is going to be lost to the world for a couple of days, and that's sad. Except apparently it's not. And whatever it is, we got to end this show because I'm going crazy and everybody's going crazy. So thanks for listening. We'll be back next week when we'll talk about the games against uh, Wisconsin and Michigan and preview future ones. Maryland on college game day against uh, Michigan State in a couple weeks, by the way. Not football college game day. We're not good enough for that. But basketball game day, clearly we're great enough for. Of course, go Terps.